Again, thank you for worshiping with us today. My name is Pastor Micah. Really, really excited today to kind of close out our Jonah series. Um, We've been doing a lot of work the last couple weeks in Jonah, learning a lot of things about his grace, and like I said earlier, how much we need it, how much sometimes we miss it, and um, and all the ways that it, it helps us along our journey with Christ. Today, we're going to look at what it means to revel in God's grace. This last chapter in Jonah, chapter 4, is kind of a weird chapter. It's kind of a weird ending to the book. Like it's not this, the, the fairy tale storybook Disney ending that you were hoping for. Um, but it's, it's something that we can really learn from Jonah here because there's some lessons that God is still teaching Jonah in chapter 4 about what it means to revel in God's grace. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Jonah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a hardback black one there somewhere on the floor around you underneath the chairs. You can grab one of those, follow along with us there as well. Um, So, you know, I love this time of year, you know, here, especially in St. Louis, we're kind of back into baseball season, right? And so the Cardinals are playing again, and there's just always a a better spirit in the air. Uh, It's always a little bit more cheery around St. Louis when the Cards are playing. And, um, and, and, but what, what, one of the things like I love about St. Louis is that no matter whether they're doing great or not so great, we still love our Redbirds, right? And, um, and, and what drives me nuts sometimes is how all these so-called fans or sportscasters or whatever, are, it seems like their main goal is to always find something to be critical about and to complain about. Is anybody else feeling this? Is this just me? Am I like a sports curmudgeon here or whatever? But like, it's like always trying to find something to harp. I mean, like right now they're in second place in the division. They're only a couple games out, like, and we're trashing Mabry and the hitting average and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, like you, Mr. Overweight guy in your recliner who hasn't played a sport since high school has all the answers to fix the professionals. I, 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 I just don't quite understand that. But here's the deal. That's not really our job as fans, right? Our job as fans is not to figure out all the problems and tell them how to fix it and be critical. And our, our job is to encourage and to cheer and to, to get behind them and say, hey, man, we can do this and, and, and root them on to victory, right? But somehow we sometimes get off of that. Our relationship with the Lord is very similar, or it should be. It's not our job to tell him how he's doing it right or wrong and decide what, where grace should go and where grace shouldn't go and have all of our little opinions and stuff. It's our job to celebrate the grace of the Lord, to praise it, to find victory in it, to, to revel in God's grace. But sometimes we get that sideways and we start to get critical of the Lord on some things. Is this just me up here? Anybody else with me this morning? So here's what we're going to see from Jonah today, that God wants me to celebrate, not evaluate his grace. God wants me to celebrate, not just evaluate, not just give my opinion, not just always have my two cents to throw at the God of the universe, but to revel and celebrate God's grace. So with that in mind, let's go to verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's going to be an important word for this chapter. You're going to see the word angry a lot, okay? Let's zero in on that. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Here's the first thing I want you to see about grace today. Sometimes it takes a while to get it. (laughs) Anybody else ever feel that way? Like sometimes you think you've learned it and then you lose it and you've got to learn it again. And like Jonah's in this thing, right? Like he's in this rinse, repeat cycle. Like just like, sometimes it takes us a while to really get it, to really get it. And so here in verse 1, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Right? He's angry about God not, I'm sorry, he's angry about God relenting from taking out the Ninevites. Right? He's like, God, I'm angry because you should be angry, and you're not angry, so that makes me angry. Is anybody else tracking this logic right now? Right? This is the exact opposite of God's reaction to Nineveh. Jonah gets angry when God relented from his anger. And then he goes on, he's like, because this is what I said. Like, way when I was back in my own country, I told you this was going to happen. I knew this is what you would do, right? So now we finally find out his true heart motive. This whole time, the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he didn't want the people of Nineveh to get to receive the grace of God. He's like, I told you. He's like, I knew. You gotta remember, Jonah's a Jew, right? He's a good Jew. He's a prophet. He knows God. He knows God's character. He says, I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that you relent from disaster. Like, these are the same characteristics about God that all throughout the Bible get our praise and our adoration and our celebration. And we love that God is these things. We celebrate this about him. But here, Jonah uses it as an indictment against God, proclaiming these as weaknesses rather than strengths. Which is super ironic because it's the same characteristics that just kept Jonah from drowning or getting digested by a fish just a couple chapters ago, right? These same characteristics that he is complaining about now are the same characteristics that saved him from his own dreadful fate. So then he's like, therefore... Therefore, it's always an important word in the Bible, right? Because it's connecting things. Therefore, because you did that, because you're going to act like that, because you're going to be that kind of God, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live here on this earth with this illogical, ignorant God who would give grace to those horrible people. Like, I can't even understand that kind of God, so just take me out. I don't want to serve you more. I don't want anything to do. I just, I'm, I'm out. God, another one of his characteristics is patience, right? He doesn't yell, he doesn't scream, he, doesn't, he just asks Jonah a question. Do you do well to be angry? In other words, what do you have to be angry about? Like, what, what's your deal, dude? Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you, right? He calls Jonah out on his unrighteous anger. Now, the Bible says that it's not always a sin to be angry, right? There are times where God shows anger, and it's righteous anger. It's, it's justified anger. There are times where Christians can show righteous anger, although we're not nearly as good at it as he is 
and we have to watch ourselves on that thing, but this clearly is not that, because God's calling him out on it. And here's, here again, here's the thing. Jonah, he knows. He's a prophet. He knows the correct response. He knows, he knows God's right. So what's he do? Doesn't say a thing. No answer. Not going to admit, no, you're right, God, I'm wrong. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to, he just walks away. God asks him a question, and he just walks away. He's like, sorry, no, not talking about this anymore. I'm done. I said my two cents. Now I'm gone. Sometimes it takes us a while to get it, doesn't it? <laughs> Some of you know my story. You know that in high school and college, I wasn't following the Lord. I wasn't walking with the Lord, and which meant that I had a twisted perspective on a lot of things, and it tainted and it colored a lot of things in my life. And those of you who had a, a life you know, prior to knowing Christ that you, know, you can remember in those ways, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and one of the things that really got messed up, I, I, because I was so conceited and full of myself and prideful and I always had to have the attention, I always had to be the one who won, I always, it always had to be about my image and keeping this up in front of other people, I wanted people to, to praise me. I wanted them to kind of feed that ego in me, right? And, and so it, it, it affected how I did things. And one of the ways that it affected my life was relationships with girls, dating and romantic relationships, things like that. For me, it was a game. It was, a, it was this cat and mouse game where I could woo them into believing that I was this wonderful guy and win them over and get their praise and get their... And so that made me chase girls who were willing to play that kind of game right, who were willing to, to do the back and forth and the flirt and the, and the, and the, the, the uh, you know, the, the whole game of the thing and, and feed that ego and, and, and press into all of that. And I wanted girls who would make me look good. I wanted girls who would give me some status. That's what I wanted because the relationship wasn't about it or them. It was about me, about my image. It's about building me up. So that led, obviously, to failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship. That's not what a relationship is. Not really. Thankfully, God in his grace had a better plan. All right? Anybody get an amen on that one? You got to have a better, better plan for you? You have a better plan in your life? Thankfully, he had a better plan. And so Courtney and I, when we first met, the very first time we met was in this choir class we had together. Um, I barely remember her, and she hated me. Okay, um, with good reason, because I was still a conceited jerk at that point. And so, um, so, you know, we didn't have a great, it wasn't like that first love at first sight kind of thing, but so we, we really didn't have much relationship. But about a year later, we ended up hanging out through some mutual friends, and, and we were both kind of going into like a new season in our life with the Lord and relationships and stuff. And so we were kind of hanging out as a group and got to become pretty good friends. We started serving the Lord together. We started leading worship together at different events and things, and and just really grew really, really close to one another and really close friends until it came to this point where um, we were set up to go to this homecoming dance together as, as friends. And so I go to her apartment to pick her up. And I walk in and, and I turn the corner and there she is. And she's got, you know, the big formal gown on. She's got the hair up. And, and just, I, I, was, I was awestruck, like in a moment, just with her beauty and her eyes and her smile. And I'm just like, and, and, and I know it sounds crazy, I, I never believed this stuff either, but like in that moment I knew this was the woman that God had given me. It was just clear as day. And, and then things went on from there. And, and 
because God had a better plan, Courtney became his greatest gift of grace in my life outside of my own salvation. All you mentioned said amen about that right after your wives right now. That was a great place for a win. Good job, Phil. Lead, leading out, okay? <laughs> but you ever feel like you're the last one to know? <laughs> right? Like when I started telling people, hey, we're dating here, they're like, finally, like seriously, what is taking you? Like my own parents were like, yeah, what's the deal? Right? Like everybody loved her. Everybody knew this was supposed to be a thing. God had put her, me on her heart way before I saw it. And she had been praying for me and she had a, a burden for me. And God was... God was doing something that I didn't even understand. Sometimes it takes us a while to get it. But when we do, man, God's grace is so rich and it's so strong in our lives. And thanks be to God that he doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us his best. Right? Jonah here, he doesn't get it yet. But God's trying to show him his best. And the reason he does this for us is not because of me. God didn't give me this grace. He didn't give me this gift. He didn't lead me to this because I'm awesome, because I deserve it, because I did anything to earn it. He didn't do it because of me. He did it because of him. Because this is who he is, right? A God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who our God is. Grace isn't about what I want. It's about who he is. We can't make grace about us. Jonah's making grace about him, what he wanted, what he thought was right. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and who he is. Sometimes it takes us a while to get it. But here's the second thing. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah can't hold his tongue this time. And he said, yes, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Here's the second thing this morning. With grace, sometimes it takes us a while to get it. Number two, sometimes it's gone before you know it. Here, Jonah, when God asks him the first question, do you do well being here? He doesn't answer. He just stomps off and leaves the city, right? And so he already knows what's coming, but he goes, it says he goes east of the city. So he was coming from the west, right? He approached the city from the west. He preached all through the city, and then he leaves out the other side, and he goes up on this hill and makes himself 
like a booth or a little tent, basically. Like it would have been out of like branches and leaves and things that he found kind of around the area. They did this called the Feast of Booths. If you ever heard about that, the Israelites did this like once a year and stuff. It was kind of the same word there for booth. So he grew, built like this little shelter to protect him from the elements. And it says to see what would become of the city. <laughs> what arrogance, right? He's like, I know God said he's going to save him, but now I've set him straight. And now that he knows that that's not right and he should do it this way instead of that way, I'm going to go up here, I'm going to sit, I'm going to wait for God to do what he knows he needs to do. And so God, in his grace, appointed a plant to supernaturally and quickly grow up over Jonah to give him shade from the other. Think of like Jack and the Beanstalk kind of plant. Like, like, it's like, right? Like, this plant comes up over Jonah to save him from the heat of the day, save him from his, that word save there, where it says save him from his, his discomfort, literally means to deliver. Just like Jesus comes and he saves us, he delivers us from our sin. God here is not only delivering Jonah from his comfort, he's trying to deliver Jonah from his sinful heart. It says Jonah was exceedingly glad. He was just before exceedingly angry. Now he's exceedingly glad. That is a big turn, right? All because of why? What's it say? Because of the plant. All it took to change Jonah's mood from, I hate you, God, kill me, to, man, this is the best day ever, was a little shade tree which shows us that his gratitude, his joy is not about God. It's about him. He's excited, he's joyful because of what God gave him, what God provided for him, not because of God himself. Because once again, it's all about Jonah. I preached a message a couple years back. Some of you were with us then. And this was kind of the main point, and I've, this has stuck with me, and I think it's just super helpful when we get into these places that we need to trust in the provider, not the provision, to experience God's power. So oftentimes, when God blesses us, when he provides for us, he gets us to the point where, or we get to the point where we start trusting in, and we start believing in, we start having faith in, and, and joy in the stuff that he gives us, the blessings, the provision, and we forget the one who is the giver. And when we start getting focused on the stuff more than we're focused on God, we lose the power of God in our life. We make it all about us. That's what Jonah's doing here. And so God knows this. God knows his heart, right? And so that night, he appoints a worm to come and kill the tree. And the plant withered. Which again shows us that God is not only sovereign over life, he's sovereign over death. The same God who can supernaturally give can also supernaturally take away. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he removes the provision from our lives, just like Jonah here, for a reason. So he takes the plant, he sends a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down. So God's taking Jonah through another round of discipline now. Like, dude, wake up. You need to pay attention here. 
so then Jonah says, he asked that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. So he's back on this death thing again. Like this dude is like a roller coaster of emotions. Because he doesn't have any foundation in the Lord. It's just in himself. He says, it's better for me to die than to live with this cruel, unfair, you know, just spiteful God that's always trying to make my life miserable. I just, I'm, I'm done with all of this. God comes back again. Same question. Do you do well to be angry for a plant this time? Really? Is that, is that what it is? And Jonah rails back, yes. Yes, God. Yes, I do right to be angry. Angry enough to die. I'm the victim here. This isn't fair. You did me wrong, God. I deserve better than this. I have the right to be happy. That's the American way, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We get into this habit of thinking that I should always be happy and things should be right and things should be fair and it's, I shouldn't have to suffer. That's Jonah's posture here with the Lord. We have um, a little dog in our house named Molly. Molly has been with us quite a while now. She's kind of getting up there in, in age, and her health is still pretty good. Uh, Courtney has kept her on a really strict diet all of her life, so she's, we're, we're like a dog food only house. Like they don't, Molly doesn't get any human food. I know some of y'all are like, that's cruel. We give our dog, you do whatever you want to your dog, right? This is our dog, right? So, so she doesn't eat anything else like we, and so, but we had her first, and then, you know, we had her for like almost like five years before our first child came. And so I remember when, when we first started having uh, kids and Elle came, like, Molly wasn't so sure about Elle, right? Like, she wasn't so sure about these new creatures coming into the house and taking away uh, Courtney's attention and all this kind of stuff. And so she wasn't real friendly. She wasn't mean, like, but she, like, she didn't really want anything to do with the girls for, you know, when they were babies. Like, she didn't want to go around them. She didn't want to sit next to them. She didn't want to see them. She would just kind of do her own thing. Until... They got old enough to start eating solid food. More importantly, dropping solid food from the table. And now all of a sudden, Molly's their best friend, and she's all sitting at the bottom of their chair and waiting for the food to drop, and she, she'll, she camps out and is right there with them all the time until we get up from the table and go about our business, and then she's right back to Courtney. Right? Because she's not really there because of them. She doesn't really care about them. She cares about food, right? She cares about what they're providing for her. Are you tracking? I'm about to call you a dog. I'm sorry. But this is just what it is, right? Sometimes we're like that. We get so infatuated with the provision that we miss the provider. The gifts that he gives are not the sum total of the thing. And when it gets to that God does something where oftentimes, and this isn't the only reason he does this, but sometimes it is that he takes away those provisions. He takes away those good gifts in our life. To see, to test, do you really love me or the thing? When we first started trying to have children, it took us a while to get pregnant. We finally got pregnant, and then the first one we had was a miscarriage. God gave us this great gift of being able to get pregnant, and then we lose the baby. And God was saying, 
do you love me? Do you love me more? Right? There was a season where Courtney in her career was working and, and doing everything right and was working hard and putting all of her time and energy and doing everything her boss asked and the boss was just never happy. It didn't matter what she did. And she ended up losing that position. God, you gave me this great career. You gave me this great opportunity to serve people and to love people and to show the love of Christ in this place that was a pretty dark place. Why would you take that away? Because it's not about that. It's about me. It's about the Lord. Last year, had to go through cancer. Had really good health all of our lives, both of us. And then just boom, out of the blue, cancer comes. God was saying, do you love me? Do you love me more? Right? Is it about the good gifts that I've given you, or is it about me, the giver of the gifts? It's an important lesson that we all have to learn along the way. And in all these experiences, God blesses us in some way so that he can, so that when he chooses to take the blessing away, he doesn't always take it away, but sometimes he does. And if he chooses to do so, are we going to stay with him? Are we going to continue to follow and love him? You see, God's main concern for you is not to make you happy or prosperous or comfortable. His plan for you is to draw you closer to him. That's his biggest concern for your life, is that you become closer to Jesus. Whether you have much or whether you have little. Grace isn't about what I get. It's about he who gives. Grace isn't about what I get from God. Grace, when we finally get it, grace is about him. It's about he who gives. It's about that that is his character, that is who he is. And we can trust in him. We can run to him. And the story picks back up in verse 10. I love that God gets the final word in the book of Jonah, right? Man, that's the way it should always be in our lives. We should always be happy to let God have the final word. Verse 10 says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. <coughs> Grace, sometimes it takes us a while to get it. Sometimes it's gone before we know it. But as long as God is God, he'll never fail to give it. As long as God is God, as long as he's on the throne, as long as he's reigning, he will never fail to be who he is, a gracious and merciful God. He responds to Jonah, he says, you pity the plant which you did not labor for, right? He's like, what are you all upset about? You're not the gardener. It's not like you worked real hard and labored over this plant and raised it up and nurtured it and, and all this kind of stuff. Like you earned it in somehow, like you somehow did something 
to make this plant that valuable to you only to watch it die? You only cared about the plant because it did something for you. Because it was helping you, it was your own self-interest. In fact, in fact, it came up in a day and it perished in a day. You didn't even have time to get attached to the plant. Right? Like this is not a thing. And yet, you have all this pity for the plant. I've confessed to you guys many times that, I mean, Courtney and I, we are just not green thumb people. Like we kill simple house plants in a day. Like it's just, it's just not like the worm's got nothing on us, man. Like they're just gone, right? And, and so we got this house, this new house, and in the front of the house, the previous owners had planted these, these big like rose bushes, these knockout rose bushes things. And they were just getting like out of control, man, last year. And so like at the end of the year, I'm like, we gotta trim these things up. And so I go on YouTube and watch a YouTube video how to trim these bushes. Like, cause you can learn anything on YouTube, right? Like that's just, that's the way we do it now. So, so I watched this little thing and, and the woman's like showing you how to prune the things. And she's like, oh, these things, these things are super robust and hardy. You can't even hardly kill them. Like just, just cut away. And I was like, she literally said that. And I was like, okay, great. So I just started going to town on the bush things and get them all cut down. And, and so this year now it's spring and things are starting to, you know, come back to life. And so there's five of them and like three of the five are, are not looking good, right? Like it's just, like they're not doing well. And so um, evidently, you know, we're, we can kill with the best of them. So I don't do the whole gardening thing. That's not a thing for me. But our neighbor, our next door neighbor, Dovey, she's a sweet little old lady, man, and she loves it, man. She's out in the yard all the time. She's planting stuff and growing stuff, and she's got stuff, like little stuff all over her yard. And all. But she's a single woman. She lives by herself, and so she can't possibly eat it all, which means <laughs> we get a lot of extras, right? Which is awesome, because I love fresh, she brought us like two big old bowls of fresh strawberries uh, the other day, man. It's just like, that's the one I'm talking about. And, and I love, love, love fresh homegrown tomatoes. Like, that is my jam. And so, so she's bringing us over these tomatoes and stuff, and, and, and we enjoy it, and we love it, and it is wonderful, and I am sad when summer's over. But I don't love it the way she loves it. I'm not out there every day pruning and planting and watering and doing all the hard work and laboring to make it grow. Are you tracking with me? That's a sign of love. And God's like, Jonah, you, you, you didn't do anything, man. Like, this isn't, this isn't your thing. Why are you so mad that the plan is gone? You should be thankful that you had it while you did. Say that again. When we get God's grace, we should be thankful that we have it while we have it, not mad when we don't. So then God goes on. Should not I pity Nineveh, this great city, this city that I created and nurtured and, and, and watched these people, watched over these people as they grew generation after generation after generation, these people, these 120 thousand people made in my image, made for my glory. These people that I have loved, should I not have pity on them? They don't even know their right hand from their left, he says. Which is kind of an odd statement. There's been a lot of debate over this one. So some people have said, oh, that means they're children. Like they don't know right from left yet. No. This is a metaphor for their spiritual condition that they're in the dark, they don't understand, they are ignorant to the truth of God's word and to the power of God's grace because they're not Israel. 
They haven't experienced it. They haven't seen it from the Lord yet. Like, they don't know that they're in sin. They don't know that they need repentance until somebody comes and tells them, cue Jonah, right? Like, God's like, this is the whole thing. And that was all of us. At some point, we were ignorant of our sin. We were ignorant of our need for repentance and forgiveness. Jesus, as he's dying on the cross for our sins in our place, says, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They're ignorant. That's why we need grace. Paul himself writes in 1 Timothy about his own experience before Christ. He said, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We were ignorant and unaware of our sin, unaware of our need for repentance until God came and showed us mercy and opened our eyes to our need for Jesus. And then he says, should I not have pity on the 120,000 people? And just in case that doesn't ring a bell with you, Jonah, and there's a lot of cattle, right? Just kind of a weird, like, ending to the whole thing. And there's lots of, you know, money involved here. Like, there's, like, this was, like, you know, a big deal. Like, back then you made your living off of what you owned and, like, Maybe if you don't even have a heart for these people, you can't see the value in saving them. Maybe you can see the value in saving at least the cattle. Which is kind of funny, but it's actually a really strong rebuke. If your heart is so hard that you would care about a lesser creation more than God's greatest creation church, we need to listen to this, man. We need to hear this in our day, in our age. God's desire is for the people that he created to experience his grace. He loves these people. And too often, I fear that we're guilty of loving lesser creation more than we love God's greatest creation. How much time and energy and How much do we run after the environment or our pets or other animals that we're wanting to help or save or our wealth or or the food we're going to eat or our recreation habits or even the church? I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Those things are good. They were created by God for our joy, for our our pleasure, for for us to enjoy on this earth, but they're lesser things. God's greatest creation is not any of that. It's us. It's every human being on this earth. They're the ones that he loves. It doesn't matter which country they're from. It doesn't matter what their skin color is or what flag they follow. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they live. It doesn't matter what political party they vote for. It doesn't even matter what team they root for. Cubs fans. Catch this, for the Ninevites, it doesn't even matter which God they worship. Our God, Yahweh, still loves them. 
and still wants them to come to himself to open their eyes. He wants them to experience his grace. And we should too. The same grace that he has given to us, we should want to extend that to every single person we know. See, grace isn't about what I do. It's about what God has done. It's not about me earning it. It's not about me proving myself in some way. It's not about my opinion or my two cents. It's not about me at all. It's about him that he has already accomplished everything we need through the cross of Jesus Christ. God created you and me with one purpose in mind. For us to experience his love and his glory in an eternal relationship with him. Every single person on the planet, that's the reason they were created. That's their purpose. But our sin breaks that relationship. The sin of our hearts and our minds and our actions, it breaks that and it makes us enemies of God instead of sons and daughters of God. And nothing we can do, nothing we can do will ever fix that relationship, will ever fix that brokenness. We cannot earn our way back into God's love. Yet he still loves us. And he wants us back so much he's willing to make it happen for us because that's who he is. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to be born of a human, to live a perfect, sinless life in our place. Because we can't do it. I can't do it. And then he willingly and graciously went to the cross and sacrificed his own life so that he could offer us grace and forgiveness. And he rose three days later from death to prove that he was God, that he had conquered sin, he had conquered death. It was done. It was done. All that remained was an opportunity for grace. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus, if you've never asked him to save you from your sin and to forgive you, and to make you his child, man, today's the day. Today you can receive that grace. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to stop hoping or stop thinking that this is for you. This is for you. He's already done the work. He's handing it to you. You don't have to do anything. ABC. Admit that you're a sinner and that you need his grace. B, believe that he died on the cross for your sins in your place. C, confess him as Lord and Savior. Say, ah, I'm, I'm done doing it, God. I'm giving it all to you. Please come and forgive me. Save me from my sins. I'll follow you from this day forward. If you do that, I promise you, you will experience the overwhelming grace of God flood your life today.
God wants me to celebrate, not evaluate, his grace. Some of you in here have been Christians for a long time. And maybe you've got into a bad habit of evaluating God's grace. Now, they shouldn't get it. Yeah, they should get it. Shouldn't do that here. Shouldn't do that there. Not that way, God. This way, God. Whatever that looks like for you, man, stop. 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 Just celebrate God's grace. Revel in the grace that God has given you, the heart and and the love that, that, that you have been given by the creator of the universe. And extend that and share that with everyone you possibly can. Quit trying to tell God how to do it better. And just do it. you're here, and again, you've never trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins, what are you waiting for? Are you stuck in this evaluation cycle? Well, you don't know my past, Micah. God couldn't possibly forgive that. It's too big. It's too... Stop evaluating. Right? Stop trying to prove God wrong. Uh, you know, nothing for free in this world, Micah. There's no, there's no free lunch, right? Like, there's got to be some kind of catch. What's the catch? to this whole grace thing. Why would he even want to give grace to someone like me? I can answer all that for you. Yes, it is enough to cover that. Yes, it really is free because he's already paid for it. And yes, he wants to give it to you if you'll receive it. So if that's you today, Stop evaluating. Just receive the free gift of grace. Stand with me. I'm going to pray. And we're going to respond to the Lord in worship. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. Lord, I thank you. I praise you, Lord, that you are God. That you are an awesome God. That you are gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, Lord. That you do not leave us. You do not abandon us. You do not forsake us, Lord. It's who you are we love you for it. And we put our trust in you because of it, Lord. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has not yet trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that right now you would come and you would touch their heart and you would give them eyes to see and a heart to believe that they would run to you for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us, to pay for our sins. We rejoice in your grace today, and we praise you for your forgiveness, for your mercy. Thank you for calling us to yourself, Lord. Thank you for calling us to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, that changes everything about us. Thank you for saving us when we couldn't save ourselves. We give you all that we have. Change us to be more like you by the power of the gospel. Christ, and we pray.